please open your Bibles to the book of Jonah as we continue in our series, Salvation Belongs to the Lord. And as we consider this evening's message, an unlikely tomb, an unlikely tomb, and please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the first chapter of Jonah to give us some context to verse 17. And also, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 12 uh, and verses 38 through 41. So Jonah 1 and then Matthew 12, 38 through 41. Please hear uh, the word of the living God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here ends the reading of God's word from Jonah. Now, if you look with me at Matthew 12, verses 38 through 41. Matthew 12, 38 through 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Amen. Well, thus far, the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Our loving Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this evening, that by your spirit that you would illumine our hearts and our minds, that we would not only hear your word, but by your grace, believe it and apply it and respond to it by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And be seated. Once again, we come to this marvelous historical narrative, and we've been meditating on the fact over the last few weeks that Jonah is not so much about the great fish as it is about a great God, amen? It's not so much about a great fish, but about a great God, and a great God who has a heart for the nations. When we stop to think about all the Scripture. All the passages, even tonight in our, the hymns that we have sung, the, the psalms that we have read, uh, we have seen uh, that God has a heart for the nations. He is the Lord of the nations. Uh, he doesn't have his, uh, his sights simply set on Israel. He has his eyes set on every tribe, tongue, and nation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, uh, it's extraordinary. Some of you have been overseas and perhaps even worshipped with Christians uh, where they are giving praise to God in a foreign language. It's, it's uh, when you first experience this, it is quite moving. Uh, for me, it was after becoming a Christian, going over to, to Russia uh, and, and, and being with Christians, singing God's praise in the Russian language. In fact, I remember we were singing... Uh, it is well with my soul uh, in Russian, and uh, and I would just sing. I would belt it out in English, and the guy sitting next to me was belting it out in Russian, and it was just a beautiful sort of picture, snapshot of what it's going to be like. Uh, Revelation chapter five, Revelation chapter seven, when every tribe, tongue, and nation is surrounding the throne, and we are together giving praise to God. Is there going to be some kind of a new language to unite us, or are we just going to be multilingual? multi-multi-multi-multilingual, and understand all the languages. We'll have eternity to learn them, I guess. But that's not the point. The point is, is that together we will be there from every tribe, tongue, and nation giving praise to God. God sent His Son to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so the heart of Christ is seen as He gives the Great Commission to His disciples and thus to you and to me that we would go forth into all the world that is, across the street and across the world to share this gospel, to make disciples, to be salt and light, to, to, to give a hope uh, that's within us, to answer people's questions, to, to be that, that, that witness of light and life and love and, a, and truth in a community where there is darkness and, and despair and depression. Uh, People ask me about Charleston, and uh, oh, so lovely, and it is lovely, and, 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 and I love Charleston. I hope you love Charleston, too, but behind the, the beautiful facade is brokenness, is depression, is anxiety, is darkness, is unbelief, is loneliness. 
these things are all true about the people that live in Charleston. On the outside and for the Instagram posts, everything looks just great. But the reality is when you begin to talk to people, get to know people, take interest in people, ask questions to people who never have questions asked to them, like the ones that you will ask them, you find out that uh, uh, they need the Lord, uh, just like we need the Lord. Uh, and so here in Jonah, we see this, this, this prophet being called uh, to go to Nineveh, which, of course, we've learned is the great enemy of Israel. And the prophet is, of course, reluctant. He runs in the opposite direction, uh, and the Lord hurls this great uh, wind upon the sea in this boat where he is traveling uh, uh, to Tarshish. And all of these events take place. We've discussed these things over the last several weeks. We've learned many lessons uh, from uh, Jonah, from the sailors, uh, from the fact that God is sovereign. He is the one true and living God, maker of the heavens and the earth, and he controls all things. We see that. We see it in Exodus uh, as we consider the plagues. The, the Lord is sending locusts, and then he's taking the locusts away. He's sending darkness and then he's having light cast down on his people only, but darkness everywhere. The Lord is the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And what we're going to see as we approach verse 17 in particular is that God is the sovereign Lord over creation, and he appoints a great fish. You know, the words lucky or coincidence should not even really be in our vocabulary. Because we serve a God who is sovereign, amen? He is carrying out his will and his providence, not just in some things or in most things, but in all things. He is carrying out uh, his, his will. And he appoints this great fish to swallow up the prophet. Now, there are many things that we can learn from this, not least how this text actually anticipates the Messiah. Uh, Jesus is the greater Jonah. He, something greater than Jonah is here, Jesus said. And so when we read the book of Jonah, we read it through the lenses of redemptive history. It's a redemptive historical reading and interpretation of the Bible. When we hear our Lord Jesus Christ making statements like he does in his public ministry, it helps us to understand the book of Jonah in its context and in what it is anticipating. And so there are three points uh, this evening uh, that I want to uh, make from this text. Of course, there are many more, but the first one is this, uh, and it's one that comes out of Romans as well, and that is that the wages of sin is misery and death. The wages of sin is misery and death. Uh, this is not a good day for Jonah. <laughs> Does it even need to be said? Look where his sin has taken him. Fleeing from the presence of God is never a good idea. Fleeing from the presence of God is never a good idea. First of all, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Imagine Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes from the one who just spoke all things into existence, who is everywhere, who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Imagine them hiding, 
Imagine Jonah fleeing from the presence of God. We see uh, this refrain over and over again in the first chapter of Jonah. He's fleeing the presence of God. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. In addition, God is a loving shepherd who chases down his wandering and sometimes rebellious sheep. Aren't you thankful that God is a, a shepherd who loves his sheep enough that when they wander off into other pastures that he comes and gets them and brings them back? As the psalmist states in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Wherever we go, God's right hand shall hold us. It's a great comfort, isn't it? I remember being with a friend in uh, the Andes Mountains, and there was a full moon, and uh, we were way up, you know, 14,000 feet altitude, and so the stars are close. It almost feels like I can reach out and touch them. And it, I was overwhelmed with the sense that God is with us here just the same as he is with us back in America. Wherever you go, God is with us, and his right hand is holding us. Verse 11, Psalm 139, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. But in his rebellion, uh, the prophet tried to flee from God, all the while going down, down, down. Do you want to know what happens when you flee the presence of God? Your life goes down, down, down. We see this, don't we? First of all, we see in our text that uh, Jonah goes down to Joppa to catch a ship to Tarshish, then going down to the lowest and most uh, inner part of the ship, sleep. It's an interesting uh, literary refrain here that's happening. He's going down to Joppa, and then he goes down to the bottom of the ship. And then, as our text for this evening reveals, Jonah finally goes down, is thrown down into the sea, and finally into the belly of the whale. Rebellion always leads downward. As we learned this morning, walking according to the mind of the flesh always ends up in death. Rebellion leads downward, even if the world might view success as moving upward. Jonah, the prophet, had received a clear and simple directive from God to go to Nineveh, to call out against it. For their evil had come up before the Lord. It's an interesting point here that I thought was important to, uh, to think about tonight, and that is that, that because God is omnipresent, because he is holy, because he is a perfect and a righteous judge over all, all sins come up before him. 
not just the sins of his people, but the sins of his not people, uh, the sins of even pagan nations. Notice it says that the, the evil of Nineveh had come up before the Lord. But the son of Amittai fled in the opposite direction. He did not respond to this. Uh, like Jonah's sin, the evil of Nineveh was not hidden from God or unknown to God. Even though uh, they were an idolatrous and pagan nation, the Ninevite sin was known to the Lord. God sees all evil. He takes account of all sin from the sophisticated halls of power in Western nations to the dark jungles of Papua New Guinea to the suburbs of Charleston. The secrets of men's hearts are open and exposed to the Lord. You know, sometimes we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Because we think that we can hide things from God. We think that we can, you know, sort of lie to ourselves so much about what God does and does not see that, that perhaps even God doesn't see what is happening. But he sees the secrets of our hearts. He sees our actions. He knows uh, everything about us. And, and uh, whether we are here, there, or anywhere, all sins are brought to uh, God. He knows of them because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all will be held accountable for their sin. That's the message, again, of the book of Romans. It's the message of the entire Scripture. Jonah, of course, was no exception, and his sin brought him down. His sin brought him down. Sin will eventually find you out, and it will eventually bring you down. That's why we always want to keep short accounts. That's why we always want to confess our sin. I find it extraordinary, if I can just say this, when churches do not have a confession of sin in their liturgy, in their order of worship. How can you not have a confession of sin when sin is one of the most foundational aspects of anthropology in the Bible, uh, of, of who man is and why we have such a great need? We need to confess our sin. The church must teach God's people what it is to confess sin and to keep short accounts, to not hide things away, to have no compartmentalization of sin. And so God sees all evil everywhere, all the time. Uh, this is true for every believer. The same is true for us. If we rebel against the Lord's clear commands, our lives will spiral downwards. If these kinds of patterns develop in our lives, it will not go well, that is, until, by God's grace, we are brought back to our senses uh, and brought back into the presence of God. Jonah's descent into the raging sea and then into the belly of the whale was symbolic of death. For the wages of sin is death, and the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This descent of the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, this descent to Joppa, uh, the descent to the bottom of the boat, this descent into the sea and into the whale, this is the unlikely tomb of the prophet. This is the end of his, his rebellion. The sailors, of course, would have reckoned him dead. Imagine the sailors as they as they sailed away on those placid waters after throwing Jonah in. 
and seeing the whale come and, and swallow him. I don't think there would have been any doubt in their minds that he was a goner, that this was not going to end well for Jonah. More on that in a few minutes as this theme relates to the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing I want us to see from our text this evening is that the story of Jonah is true. It's not a myth. I touched upon this uh, back in the introduction several weeks ago, uh, but the book of Jonah is true. It's not a myth. We're not talking about this as if it's some fairy story. It's a true event in history and an important messianic sign uh, in redemptive history. So the story of Jonah is true. Uh, As I mentioned at the outset uh, of this series, questions concerning the veracity of this narrative have been hotly debated for many centuries. Some quickly dismiss the idea that Jonah is founded on historical facts. Some people uh, don't believe it's true or even could be true. They are, of course, the same ones who deny that the Bible is inerrant, uh, infallible, uh, and dissent from theological dogma, such as the bodily resurrection of Christ. I, I mentioned uh, several months ago that when we started this series that I walked into a church as a new Christian, and uh, the pastor in this church uh, said that Jonah was a myth. Uh, it was a liberal mainline church, uh, and of course, I never uh, uh, returned to it. In Rick Phillips' commentary on Jonah, he raises some interesting scientific facts uh, that few are actually aware of, Uh, facts that show that Jonah is, in fact, uh, that Jonah being swallowed by the fish is, in fact, possible, even scientifically, though I do want to say that even if it wasn't possible scientifically, uh, that God uh, is uh, able to move above the laws of nature, amen? Uh, He is not bound by the laws of nature as finite creatures like us uh, are. Uh, And so listen to uh, this interesting scientific evidence about about, uh, Jonah and, and the whale. One states that since the larger whales eat plankton, none of them have throats large enough to swallow a man whole. In the early 20th century, it was argued... Uh, that even a sperm whale would have difficulty swallowing an orange, much less a man. Since then, however, botanists have identified subspecies of sperm whales with throats large enough to swallow a small house. The second issue deals with whether um, or not a man could breathe enough air inside such a creature to survive a three-day submarine voyage. The answer is that it is possible, although it would be very, a very uncomfortable journey. I guess that goes without saying. He goes on. The most famous answer to the liberal objections is the episode of the whaling ship Star of the East, which spotted a large sperm whale in February of 1891. Harpoon boats were launched one of which capsized with two men overboard. In time, the whale was killed and drawn to the ship where it was secured and its blubber removed. The next day, its stomach was hoisted onto the deck and inside 
was sailor James Bartley, who was unconscious but alive. After being revived, he resumed his duties aboard the ship. Man, what a boss he had, huh? Get back to work. What's wrong with you? You've had 30 minutes to rest? An extraordinary story, though, isn't it? Um, Not that we need that in order to believe the word, but it's interesting to me that prior to having the kind of scientific evidence, right, of of, uh, whales that are large enough to swallow a man and have enough oxygen to uh, allow a man to survive, uh, that... uh, uh, you know, even, even, even with, without that evidence, we should believe God's Word, what it says. Um, but but there, there you go. And, um, and this also teaches us something about the resurrection, doesn't it? Because some believe that Jonah actually could have been dead inside the whale and then resurrected later and spit up onto dry land, particularly as... as um, we have the, the correlation between Jonah and Jesus. The three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, the three days and the three nights in the tomb. And we all know that the three days is the kind of length of time where people would know uh, that a man is, is truly dead. Uh, you know, there are these swoon theories that Jesus was pulled down from the cross and he wasn't really dead um, and that he... Uh, sort of woke up, you know, on the third day and uh, never died in the first place. But that is all uh, utter nonsense, of course. Uh, and uh, it was Josh McDowell who said that uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is either the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. Uh, Let there be no mistake about it. The Christian faith stands or falls upon the objective truthfulness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that resurrection is prophesied of and anticipated in the story of Jonah. The foundation of Christianity crumbles without the resurrection. If the resurrection is not true, then Christians are fools, and we are all wasting our time this evening. Not everyone believes that, of course. As a friend of mine that I spoke with a couple of weeks ago shared with me about his meeting with the Queen back in 2005 and Prince Philip. Uh, They were sitting in the sitting room, and he had just preached uh, on uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was given a whole 10 minutes to preach uh, for the queen. I can't even clear my throat in 10 minutes, much less preach a sermon in 10 minutes. And and so he uh, is sitting there, and the uh, Prince Philip looks over. This is after lunch on Sunday afternoon. It's just my friend and the queen on one couch and Prince Philip on the other couch, and they're facing each other, and he looks at my friend, and he says, that business you were sharing earlier about that you would throw your Bible in the bin if Jesus was not bodily resurrected from the dead, do you really believe that? Did you mean that? And he said, well, yes, I did. And he said, um, 
well, I think that's a load of rubbish. And uh, he responded uh, by saying, no, it's not a load of rubbish. Actually, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ is not raised, then we are of all people most to be pitied and that we are still in our sins. It's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, what Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's what we're going to see in Romans chapter 8 in the next section uh, of where we are in Romans 8, 5 through 11, that because we possess the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we too shall be raised on the last day. So if Christ has not been raised, then we should put away our Bibles, close our hymnals, pack up our things, go home, and never return, return to this place again. But if he is raised, and he is, as the angels, the disciples, and all the witnesses who saw him proclaimed he was, then we should bow humbly before him, worship him, and joyfully surrender our hearts and lives to him. For if Jesus rose from the dead, then he has conquered death and hell, and he is everything whom he said he was. My son is reading Mere Christianity right now, C.S. Lewis. You know his argumentation. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord. Either he's lying about who he is, or he's crazy because he's saying he's the Son of God, or he is the Lord. He is who he says he is. And we know that he indeed is the Lord because... He was raised from the dead. Of course, there are many other things as well. And so thirdly, we have the fact that here in Jonah 1.17, the death and resurrection of Christ are typified. The death and resurrection of Christ are typified. Look with me again at Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it, given to it rather, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, does it sound like Jesus thought that was a myth? Does it sound like he thought this was just some story that we can gain some nice uh, lessons from? No, he's saying it because it's true. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, there's so much to unpack here, but what I simply want us to recognize this evening are at least two things. As I've just mentioned, that Jesus speaks of the experience and preaching of Jonah as historical fact and not fiction, allegory, or myth. If one comes to the conclusion that Jonah is allegory or fiction, then they might, and sometimes do likewise, conclude that Jesus' words about his death and resurrection are fictional and allegorical as well. 
This is exactly what liberal churches teach. If Jonah is viewed as ahistorical, then why not view other biblical accounts as ahistorical as well? So that's the first point. Jesus speaks of Jonah in historical and factual terms. Secondly, the book of Jonah anticipates and announces the gospel. Where's the gospel in the book of Jonah, you might ask? It is right here. It is right here in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You see, this anticipates and announces the salvation of the Gentiles, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. We must get this if we're going to get the root meaning, the essence, the truth of the book of Jonah. Jonah is a sign pointing forward to the person and redemptive work of Jesus Christ. It's what we read uh, earlier, again, from Matthew 12. This is why one writer quotes the great Hugh Martin as saying that Jonah's mission should not be regarded as, quote, an isolated and merely romantic incident in sacred history. Rather, it becomes one of the grandest events in the history of redemption, from the exodus of Israel to the advent of Messiah and the calling of the Gentiles. Think of all that is packed right here in verse 17 as it points forward to the one who will ultimately save the Gentiles. You see, God goes after Jonah. Jonah is thrown into the sea because there's a great storm, and it will not stop until he is thrown into the sea. Uh, The whale scoops him up, swallows him, and takes him to where God had initially told him to go, spits him up onto dry land. He goes there, and I'm going to ruin the story for you. I'm sorry. Preaches the word of God, and there is a revival that takes place, and repentance. And the repentance is so thorough that Jesus is speaking of them, of actually rising up and speaking against those who don't repent in Israel. And so the story and sign of Jonah points to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And consequently to our death, to sin, and resurrection unto life in him. Romans chapter 6. Jonah is a sign for the ages. Jonah is a sign for November of 2022 in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. It's a sign for the ages. Why? Because it proclaims the once-for-all salvation realized in Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than Jonah, because he is the promised Messiah. And let us not miss all of the wonderful connections in this narrative. Like Jonah, you and I have gone down down, down in our sin. And we deserve the wages of those sins, which is, which is death. We deserve to perish in the stormy waters of God's wrath and go into the tomb and to receive judgment, to receive eternal death. But Christ went 
in our place. As Jonah was thrown into the stormy sea and swallowed up by the whale, an unlikely tomb to be sure, and God's wrath was pacified by him being thrown into the sea, and the storm ceased, and then he was thrown up onto dry land, so Christ, please get this, so Christ, the Jonah antitype, propitiated God's wrath by undergoing the curse and shame of the cross. You see, the storm of God's wrath against you and me stopped because Christ propitiated the wrath of God. He turned it away from us and onto himself. And so becomes the greater Jonah. Then, having died on the cross, goes into the tomb for three days. But then he rose from the dead on the third day. And the sign of Jonah was realized in God's crucified and risen son. United to Christ, then, we have died to sin. We have died to the dominion of sin and, and dominion of death. And we have been raised to new life in Christ. Dear ones, that is the thrust of the book of Jonah. And it's with that truth of the gospel that in Christ, God's wrath has been propitiated. That in Christ, we are now justified. We have a right standing with God. Uh, that in Christ now, as his redeemed sons and daughters, members of the body of Christ, now we are sent out. Jonah received a commission, and guess what? So do you. We as a church have received a commission. May we not run in the opposite direction. May we not be so caught up in the world and in uh, keeping our minds on the things of the world and having minds on the flesh rather than walking in the Spirit and having our minds set on the things of the Spirit. May we not get caught up in the things of the world, but, but may we, as we walk with the Spirit, have the mind of the Spirit and have our eyes on Christ, we too, like Isaiah, will say, here I am, send me. Send me to these individuals in my class at school. Send me to my neighbor. Send me to my family member. May I not be like Jonah and run in the opposite direction because my life is so caught up in all these other things, but, but may I have the mind of Christ and the heart of God in mission to not run down to Joppa, but to go to whatever Nineveh God has called you to. At least he's called us, hasn't he, to the sphere he's placed us in and the vocations he's called us to, to be salt and light, to be witnesses, to, to share the gospel, to invite people to church, to put good resources in people's hands, to, to go away from relationships and friendships and opportunities having been that salt and light and witness that God has called us to be as we are called to go out and to make disciples of all nations. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this precious gospel. By your grace, through faith, we believe this gospel, that Christ obeyed the law, every jot and tittle, for us. 
and then as a perfect law keeper, threw himself into the storm waters. In fact, thinking of it biblically, Father, you sent him into the storm waters, your own son, to be cursed for us, to go into the storm and into an unlikely tomb for the Son of God, for us, that in him we would die to sin, that we would die to the second death, for there is the death of death in the death of Christ, and we are in him, raised up to new life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit and not according to the flesh, seeking to be your faithful witnesses in our community and even to the nations. Oh, Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for all that it teaches us about your sovereignty, your power, and your compassion for the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.